We're going to start out today a little bit different. When you walked in, one of the greeters gave you a bulletin, and your bulletin is a, a handout like this. At the top of it is a question that I want you to answer. And we're starting out really deep today. The question is, what are your favorite movies? Okay, what are your favorite movies? I want you to pick two or three movies. We've got some movie music that we're going to play here. We'll give you about 15 seconds to think of. What are your two or three favorite movies? Go. Okay, you get about five more seconds. Not every movie can be your favorite. Okay, so do you have a couple down, a couple in mind? So we love movies in America, whether it's a theater with a recliner. I love that those have been invented now. Those, if you've been to one of those theaters, it's amazing. Um, or whether it's on the, on the couch at home, sharing the popcorn, watching on Netflix. We love movies. A few years ago, a guy named Donna Miller uh, had his memoir turned into a movie, and he wrote a book about what he learned in that process. And he said, if you simplify it down, a great story is summed up this way. A hero who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. Every great story, the two or three movies you've written down have this in common. There's a hero, somebody who you believe in, you want to see succeed, and they have something they want, and they're overcoming conflict to get it. I'm going to give you some examples here. So uh, if you look at these movies, they're going to put up on the screen right now. So uh, in Star Wars, you have Luke Skywalker, who wants to know who he is, and he has to overcome his father, Darth Vader, and the Empire to do that. In Frozen, Elsa wants to be herself, but she has to overcome her dark side and her dangerous powers to do so. In The Lion King, Simba uh, was born to be king, but he's super insecure, and he has to overcome his fear to get there. And in Harry Potter, uh, Harry Potter was born for a purpose, but he who shall not be named opposes him. You see, in all of these movies, it's the conflict and the adversity and the struggle that draws us in. It gives the meaning purpose, it gives it significance, and it makes us want to actually hang on for two or two and a half hours to see how it all works out. I want you to think about something. What would happen if we removed the conflict from those movies? What would happen if we removed the struggle and the difficulty? Let's go back to those four movies with that idea. In Star Wars, what would have happened if Yoda had set up an intervention between Luke and Darth Vader? I mean, Luke would still have both hands. In Frozen, if Elsa could have just flown to Phoenix in the middle of the summer and warmed up a little bit inside, we would have never heard Let It Go. And if you're a parent, you're just thinking about how amazing that would be. In Lion King, if Scar hadn't killed Mufasa, then we would have never met Timon and Pumbaa, and we would have never learned Hakuna Matata. And if Harry had realized in book two instead of book seven that he was the horcrux, then J.K. Rowling would be a millionaire, not a billionaire. <laughs> See, the truth is we tend in our own lives to avoid difficulty. We call it the path of least resistance. We avoid struggle. We avoid adversity. And when it happens, we're quick to complain about it. We try to minimize that in our lives. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about how we can have a new perspective on difficulty, how we can change the way that we view conflict and adversity and embrace it. This morning, the main idea of my message is this, 
that hope turns our difficulty into God's opportunity. Hope turns our difficulty into God's opportunity. In all of these films, it's actually the difficulty, the adversity, the conflict, the struggle that's the opportunity for that hero to become a different kind of person. And without the difficulty, the movie wouldn't be nearly as compelling. This series that we're in is called Hope Dealers. We're going to become people who live with hope and share with other people. And this morning, I thought it'd be important, before we go any further in this series, to talk about what hope is. And I stole this definition of hope from a pastor named Kevin Gerald. Gerald said this, that hope is a stubborn, unrelenting determination to not allow the hardships of life to downsize the bigness of God. That's the challenge with hope, that when faced with difficulties in life, we wouldn't allow our difficulties to shrink the size of God, but we would remain confident in the bigness of our God in the face of growing difficulty and hardship in life. And isn't that what hope is? Hope is not an easy life. Hope is not everything goes your way. Hope is not even getting everything that you're looking forward to. No, hope is a strong and robust and stubbornness in the face of difficulty, refusing to shrink the size of God and remaining confident that he is working towards something that you haven't received yet. So this morning, we're going to continue in our study at the book of Philippians. We're studying in Philippians all throughout this fall. And we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, open up to Philippians. If you don't, don't worry, but we'll have it on the screens for you. As I said last week, Philippians is a, a book written by Paul to the people who lived in a city called Philippi in northern Greece in the late 50s or early 60s A.D., And these people were persecuted. They were living amidst difficult times. And so Paul writes them to give them hope. But Paul himself is in difficult times. He's in prison. And so he's writing to a people who are persecuted as one who is persecuted, calling them to live with hope. And so we're going to work our way through the passage this morning. We'll start in verse 12. Here's what Paul says. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. This morning, I'm going to share with you four surprising truths about difficulty. And the first one is this, that difficult circumstances can open up unprecedented opportunities. Difficult circumstances can open up unprecedented opportunities. In Paul's life, Paul is sitting here writing this letter from prison. And and what happened was the the people of Philippi, they they heard Paul was in prison and they were worried about him. They they took a collection of money and sent a man named Epaphroditus, who we'll meet in a few weeks, to to Philip, to where where Paul is, probably in Ephesus. And uh, they send him some money and a note. And Paul writes back so that they would know how he's doing because they're concerned because he's in prison. And Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, in in your concern for me, that what's happened to me, me going to prison, has in fact really served to advance the gospel. What he's saying is that this difficulty that I'm in has actually led to new opportunity. And that opportunity is advancing the gospel. He uses this word advance. And that word advance really is is an army term. 
It's a, it's a military term. When, when an army was moving through an area that had a lot of brush or trees or things that would make it, make it difficult for the army to move through that area, there would be a group of the army that would go forward in front of the army and they would cut down the trees and they would clear out the brush so that the army could move through it. And so when Paul says, what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel, what he's saying is that it's, it's like my circumstance, my difficulty is that advancing army that goes forward and cuts down the brush and clears the way forward so that the army can move through. And this army is, in fact, the gospel. So what he's saying is that the gospel would have been opposed. The gospel couldn't have come through. People couldn't have discovered hope. People couldn't have heard the good news if this difficulty hadn't come in my life. And so he says, I'm thanking God for that. Question for you. What is God opening up in your life via difficulty that couldn't happen any other way? What is God opening up in your life today? What opportunity, what circumstance, what, what new good thing is coming via difficulty that couldn't have come any other way? See, sometimes we, we pray for and we long for and we desire things, but the way that God brings them about in our life is not at all the way we would have chosen or the way we would have planned. And yet it brings us the thing we long for and desire. This is what happened in my marriage with my wife. Every year we've gone through something new and difficult. In our first year of marriage, I took 29 credits in grad school in our first nine months of marriage. If you're taking notes, just write stupid next to that. <laughs> in year two, we decided that we wanted to pay off $25,000 in credit card debt. And so I took on a second and a third job and most weeks didn't have a day off. Uh, in year three of our marriage, one of our closest friends got cancer and passed away six months later. In year four, we became parents. In year five, I had to close down the ministry that I was leading and I went through burnout in year six, we almost miscarried our twins, and she was on bed rest for 18 weeks in the hospital for six. In year seven, we parented twins. That was a little crazy. And then in year eight, I lost a mentor and had to lead our church in Phoenix through a time of transition. And then we made the biggest move of our life coming here to Prescott a few months ago. You see, God did work in my life, in my character in each of those years. He dealt with my impatience, my entitlement, my arrogance, my cynicism, my pride, and my insecurity. He got to all of those things in me and did transformational work there through those difficult circumstances in ways I don't think he would have dealt with had we had an easy first few years of marriage. I think if it hadn't been for those difficulties, I would still be incredibly impatient, entitled, arrogant, cynical, proud, and insecure. Do, do I want to go back and work seven days a week for two years? No way. But am I grateful for what God did in those two years? Absolutely. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, what's happened to me that what would be seen as difficulty from the outside is actually unprecedented opportunity. And so Paul is choosing his perspective. He's choosing to be hopeful. He's choosing to believe in a big God in the middle of his difficulty and saying, I am going to look at my difficulty through the lens of hope and see the opportunity that lies within that. And that's why our memory verse for this week is Philippians 1.12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. 
I want you to memorize this verse this week. I want you to commit it to memory. And what I did is in your bulletin, I gave you a blank white index card. I want you to write that verse down on your index card because science tells us if you write something down, you're more likely to remember it. I want you to put this in front of you somewhere this week, in your car or on your bathroom mirror or in your cubicle at work, so that you're reminded that what you're experiencing in life that may be difficulty could be what God is using to advance the opportunity that you've been looking and praying for. And that is not your natural conclusion. That isn't where your brain is going to go just automatically. You're going to have to choose that perspective. You're going to have to choose hope. And hope takes our difficulties and it turns them so we can see God's opportunities. Let's continue in verse 13. Paul says, So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. The second truth about difficulty is that difficulty introduces us to people who need hope. Difficulty introduces us to people who need hope. Paul is is likely in prison in Ephesus, maybe in Rome. He's in an area where the Praetorian Guard worked. The Praetorian Guard was the most elite group within the Roman army. Think about Navy SEALs or Army Rangers, just the elite of the elite. They were so powerful, and this this image here is a painting, that in AD 61, the Praetorian Guard basically asserted their power and pushed Claudius into the leadership, the emperorship of the Roman Empire. This is Claudius literally bowing before the Praetorian Guard. They are immensely powerful in this time. And so what Paul is saying is because I'm in this prison, I'm meeting the Praetorian guard and they're learning about Jesus Christ through my imprisonment here. The the church grew as this kind of grassroots, underground, illegal religious sect in this time and place. They would have never gotten to the highest of society to influence those people there and introduce them to Jesus Christ if it hadn't been for Paul going to prison. And because Paul went to prison, he meets them and is able to share with them about the hope of Jesus Christ. And this is what happens in our life. There are times in our lives where we will meet people through our difficulty that we'll have an opportunity to share the hope of Jesus Christ with. A few weeks ago, I I handed out a card and it challenged you to write down the names of five or 10 people in your life that God has supernaturally and strategically placed there for you to have an impact with. And just my sense in the room that day is that a lot of you struggled to fill up that card. That there aren't a lot of significant relationships that you have with people who don't share your faith. And one of the things that God might do, I'm not Nostradamus, I don't predict the future. I grew up in Las Vegas, I learned not to bet on things. (laughs) But I'm going to guess that one of the things that's going to happen if you're going through difficulty or headed towards it is you're going to make new relationships. You're going to meet new people. And your list of people who don't know Jesus Christ that you have an opportunity to share about him with will grow. I know that because that's what happened in my life two years ago. My wife and I drove past this building every single day as I took her to work. It was a clinic, uh, an ultrasound clinic for high-risk pregnancies. Well, we'd never had one before, so why would we ever go in there? But then when we did have a high-risk pregnancy, we started going there. 
ultimately what happened is we made a film about how God had worked to save our pregnancy over Easter weekend. Uh, my friend Tony, who's taking photos here today, helped help us make that video. And if you were here on my first Sunday, you saw that video. When we made the video and told uh, the group we were making this video, they said, hey, come, come film in our office. So we filmed part of the video in this office. And then when it was completed, they said, hey, could you come show that video to our staff? And I said, well, it does talk about Jesus. Yeah, sure, come in. We'll buy you the whole staff lunch and you can, you can just hang out and show the video. I'm like, are you serious? And so we went in on a Friday and their whole staff had lunch and we ate with them and we showed them the video. And this is Dr. John Elliott, who's performed more um, deliveries and carried more multiple pregnancies to term in the whole entire world. He's delivered over 3,000 sets of triplets. We would have never met him if it hadn't been for that pregnancy. We would have never shared the hope that came through, through our lives if it hadn't been for that difficulty in our life. Do I want to go back to that again? No way. But do I realize how God introduced people to me that I was able to introduce to hope because of my difficulty? Yeah. Some of you in this room, you're going through difficulty and you're going to meet people who have the hope of Jesus Christ in this period. And they're going to share that hope with you too. See, difficulty introduces us to people who need hope. And, and then we're going to have to choose hope. See, hope is always a choice. Perspective doesn't come naturally. You have to get above things. You have to choose that you're going to not just be a victim of your circumstances or a victim of your perspective. You're going to have to choose hope then. It's not enough to be around hopeful people. You're going to have to choose hope for yourself. The third thing we learn is in verse 14. Paul says, And most of the brothers, that's the people who were in the church in that city, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are now much more bold to speak the word without fear. The third lesson is that other people are watching us navigate difficulty. I'm not sure if you know, but every day you have an audience that watches how you live. Even if you're a child in this room, if you're a teenager, you have an audience. They're your brothers and sisters and your friends at school and your classmates, and they're watching you, especially as you go through difficulty. And so these believers are watching Paul, even as he's in prison, boldly share his faith. And they go, man, if he can do it from prison, I should be able to do it outside of prison. And so as he is bold, their boldness grows. See, you have influence. Whether you believe you have influence or not, you are someone's role model, whether you're aware of it or not. And as you go through difficulty, they're watching you, especially if you've been sharing about your faith with them. Okay, it's great that you believe in God when everything's going well. When everything hits the fan, now what are they going to do? And that's why I believe that we can proclaim Jesus in adversity better than we can in prosperity. We can proclaim Jesus better in adversity than we can in prosperity. Why? Because everyone expects us to believe when things are going well. Why would you, of course you would believe in God. He's blessing you. 
You've got your health and you have wealth and you have a house and, and everything's going great. Of course you would believe in God. But when that stuff is taken away, what do you do? That's why for centuries and now millennia, the story of Job has been so powerful. What will Job do when he loses it all? Will he continue to praise God? See, that's why hope for me is not weakness. It's strength. When you can face difficulty and not downsize the bigness of God, but remain stubborn and relentless in your commitment to see God do something, even though it's invisible today, that's not weakness. That's incredible strength. And that kind of hope takes the difficulty that you see and it turns it into opportunity. That's why I wanted to remind you that that when you're going through difficulty, you have a story to tell and a circle to influence. You have a story to tell and a circle to influence. You get a platform in difficulty that you wouldn't get in prosperity. People want to know how you're doing, how you're hanging in there, how you're getting up every day and going through it. And that circle is an opportunity for you to share your story. Let's complete the passage here in verse 15 and learn our fourth lesson. Paul says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed And in that I rejoice. The fourth lesson is what matters most is Jesus being preached. This is Paul's perspective. Hey, there's some people out there and they're using this opportunity for their own ego. Okay. There's some people out there, they're using this as an opportunity to pile on me. There's some people who have the best of intentions. Okay, but guess what's happening in all of those? People are talking about Jesus and and that's what matters most to me. That is not an easy perspective to take. It isn't a natural perspective. Paul says a phrase here in verse 17. He says, thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. There are certain people that are taking the worst experience of Paul's life And they're using it as an opportunity to make things even worse for him. They're going around the city and saying, hey, have you heard about this guy named Paul? Yeah, he's stirring up a rebellion. He's stirring up an insurrection. He's saying that Caesar isn't Lord. This guy named Jesus, this Jew is. And now they have him in prison for stirring this all up. And so so they're trying to make things worse for Paul. They're trying to turn the pressure up on Paul. They're taking the chains that bound him and they're using those as an opportunity to make him experience more pain. And you're going to have people in your life who do that when you go through difficulty. They're not going to make it easier. They're going to make it worse. They're not going to be for you. They're going to be against you whether you call them haters, you know, whether you call them family. Oh, good. You have those family members too. Okay. Just making sure we're not alone here. And in those moments, you're going to have an opportunity to choose. 
And some of you who came today, the one thing I want you to take home is this. You always have the power to choose hope. You always have the power to choose hope. You don't have the power to pick your circumstances. You don't have the power to choose the decisions of other people. You don't have the power to prevent their bad decisions from affecting your life. You don't have the power to pick how today or tomorrow is going to go. There are a lot of areas in life that we're not nearly as powerful as we lead ourselves to believe, but we are powerful in the place where we can always choose to put our hope in the one who does have the power. And to trust that he is doing something that seems invisible in the present, but will be visible in the future. We always have the power to choose hope. I'm a writer and I wrote my first ebook in 2015. It's called The Greater Than Challenge, A Guide to Reframing Your Life. If, if you're looking for something to read, there, there's a link on the screen. And in that book, I take the principle of the greater than sign that you learned about in fifth or sixth grade math or earlier or later. I don't know. I'm not a math teacher. I'm a pastor. But you learned that one thing is greater than another. I took that principle and I applied it to life. And, and I show you how there are certain things that are greater than other things. And I allow you to reframe your life using this tool. And I used this last week, and I want to use it again today. You see, for Paul, Jesus being proclaimed was greater than everything else. He said, if Jesus gets proclaimed, if his name goes out, if people talk about him, it really doesn't matter how that happens for me, because that's greater than anything else. If I have to go to prison, okay. If I have to get bit by a viper, okay. If I have to get shipwrecked, okay. If I have to get beat with a lash 39 times, okay. If my name gets besmirched in the community, okay. If I have to leave behind the things that I know that are comfortable, okay. If I have to live every day not knowing if it's going to be my last, okay. Why? Because everything pales in comparison to Jesus being proclaimed, and that's what my life is about. And if that happens, I'll take whatever comes. See, he has this robust and resilient commitment to see the thing that has changed him change everyone else. And so no matter what comes his way in difficulty, his hope is going to turn that difficulty into God's opportunity. That's the hope that he deals in his city. And that's the challenge for us. How do we get to the place where we have that kind of hope so we can share it? Because you'll never share something you don't have yourself. And so for us to become hope dealers, we have to become people of hope ourselves. I stumbled this week on Romans chapter 5, verses 2 through 5, and I want to share it with you as we close today. Paul says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. See, hope is an outcome. And for many of us, we will find it on the other side of suffering and patience and endurance. But when we can become people of hope, it doesn't matter what life throws our way. 
we maintain our focus on who God is and we remember that he's poured out his love in our lives and so greater is he that is in us than is he that is in the world that God has made us more than conquerors. On the back of your hand, there's three questions for you that I'd love for you to reflect on this week. The first one is, where is it most difficult for you to have hope right now? What's the situation in your life where, man, hope does not come easy. It's just really hard. Second question, what is God opening up in your life via difficulty that couldn't happen any other way? You may not like it. It may not be comfortable. You may wish it had a return policy. But God's using it to do some incredible things. And the third question is, who's watching you navigate this difficulty? Who's watching to see what you do? These questions and the rest that are on there are used by our small groups every week. And so if you're not plugged into one of our groups that meet in homes, you can go out to the belong table after the service and connect in one of those and begin to flesh this out with other people who are looking to choose hope as well. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much that you are at work in our lives, that in the midst of difficulty, you don't abandon us. You don't forsake us. In fact, sometimes in difficulty, you do your greatest work. But God, that is really hard to see when we're in the middle of a hurricane, when we're in pain, when we feel like we're overwhelmed when we'd rather stay in bed than get up. God, I pray that you would remind us this day of your love for us and the grace that you've offered to us through Jesus Christ. I pray like the sun through the clouds on a dark day, I pray that you would shine hope into the hearts of the people who are listening to my voice here in this room and those who are watching online. I pray that our hope would not be rooted in our strength or our circumstance because both of those can be shaken in a second. God, I pray that you would root our hope in you, in your death and in your resurrection and in your power. And I pray in the circumstances that my friends are living through today, their difficulties. I pray that you would teach them and show them how to see what it is that you want them to see, that you're doing, that they can give thanks for in the middle of something that is tremendously hard. In your name we pray, amen. While the band sings, the altar is open for you to come forward and pray. There'll be people up here if you want them to pray with you. We're going to sing a song about the one who's the source and the focus of our hope. You can stand. You can sit. This moment is yours. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www prescottcornerstone.com
Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.